0: Hey, everybody. Tom and Keith, thanks for uh, tuning in to the podcast. Spread the word if you haven't uh, already done so, and uh, we appreciate it. And I would also appreciate the uh, fine folks at the Dunlap Champions Club,
1: KJ. They uh, have very much stepped up. That allows us to present this, uh, shall we say, commercial-free. Is that the proper way of saying it? I think it is. It Without is, commercial interruption. There you go. Uh,
0: hopefully you test drove the uh, the premium club seats that are the the Champions Club during the spring game. Maybe you went to Doke After Dark. Maybe you've been to some of the uh, – the pillar events they just had dalvin cook honored they're going to have one for coach bowden coming up Uh, i do need to point out they've got half season tickets on sale for this coming year so uh for that you get miami or louisville and then
1: any two of the remaining four home games not a bad deal not a bad deal at all and again if you need a private tour if you just want to go up there and look around call seminole boosters uh i'm sure jerry and his crew will make sure that they get somebody out there to show you around you will be impressed if you've never set foot in that structure should point out the half season uh, tickets are 750 but that's what makes it a good deal there
0: if you want to test drive it you can visit seminoles.com backslash tickets or call 583-9066 line one to buy your tickets and schedule that private tour
2: now without further ado Drum roll, please.
0: This week's Front Row.
2: Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is the Front Row with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: It is time for the front row, Tom and KJ. Keith, good to see you. Good to be seen. We have a full show today. Tim Lunefeld, our Seminoles.com insider, will join us. Slot still on the sports calendar. We'll also look ahead and talk some FSU football. Andrew Adelson from ESPN.com will join us. We'll wrap up the ACC meetings. Still has a job well she'll probably go back and listen but I did double check that before I invited her on the show (laughs) just for the record because I had that thought because I hadn't seen the full list we have huge basketball news to report and we will get to that momentarily the ACC baseball tournament's going on but I want to start with softball Keith because the Block family is in for a tough weekend because Florida State and LSU are actually going head-to-head. This is In in any sport, it becomes an issue is what you're saying. It's been uh, 11 years plus of married life, and the only game I can recall FSU and LSU playing head-to-head in terms of the major sports was a game FSU played in men's basketball at LSU. They may have played once in women's basketball. It's a little foggy, but they certainly haven't played in football or baseball, and Laura and I certainly have not attended together. And so this week we get to do it FSU, LSU. Now, let me give you the caveat. I will be sleeping on the couch for many days, and here's why. It did not occur to me, even though FSU and LSU were playing head to head, that they would sell out of tickets before lunch yesterday. So I looked at Twitter at about 1 o'clock, and there was the announcement that they had sold out of grandstand tickets. Gone. I said, uh oh. No, you said, stando. <laughs> so, I have proceeded to line up stando tickets, which is how you get a ticket to the couch in the household at home. So anyway, understood. It'll be a fun weekend. Uh, the Florida State softball team pretty dog on good if you're not aware. We'll talk about that more with Tim, but uh, let's let's bounce over to basketball because when you look at the last few years, Keith, a couple of years ago, the class included Dwayne Bacon and Malik Beasley. Last year, Jonathan Isaac, who's about to be a lottery pick in the NBA draft. And now at the eleventh hour, literally, because the spring signing period is closed, we're past it. But FSU lands the number four guard in the country in MJ Walker, who will be on the team next year, seventeen eighteen. Huge news today.
1: Very much so, and and what a credit to uh, Leonard and his staff. You and I were talking before we came on the air. We we can't give all of the credit to Leonard. I think we have to acknowledge that uh, some uh, of the additions to his staff over the last four or five years. In uh, Dennis Gates uh, and and CJ Coach uh, Cy rather Carlton Young uh, ha- have now begun to pay dividends in the recruiting arena, and obviously for those of us that have been around the program, we know about what Stan does as associate head coach in terms of game prep and and in uh, practice. And then you wrap all that under Leonard's leadership, and, and uh, it's, it's a pretty phenomenal time at Florida State when it comes to recruiting. And then hopefully, just hopefully, that transcends into uh, another season like last year and an either deeper run into the tournament once you get into it. Just looking at one of the recruiting rankings,
0: FSU's class jumps from number 25 to number 12 which is still the fourth best class in the ACC. But nevertheless, I mean, they're recruiting at a high level to get a guy level. like that. And it's interesting how this was a program, <clears throat> think 10 years ago, Keith. Think about Tony Douglas, Al Thornton, and those kind of guys. Even Alexander Johnson, who left early, and the thought was this guy really needed another year. You had guys who were raw. They came
1: in, they got a little more polished as a sophomore, better as a But they all had issues. They didn't come in necessarily as freshmen, and they certainly didn't come in as clean. Yeah, they didn't come in polished. Exactly. And so
0: it took them four years to get polished, and then they had an opportunity to play at a high level here in the States. Uh, Now you're getting guys that are coming in polished first year, even one and duns. I mean, Carolina's a program that doesn't have one and duns, and FSU's gone two years in a row with one and done and who knows if MJ's a third I don't know enough about him to know if he's that caliber I know he's six four, not 6'11 like Jonathan Isaac so maybe he doesn't project as a one and done maybe he's more like a bacon that's going to really but again I haven't seen him play I'm not the recruiting expert I just know that when you look at the caliber of player Florida State's bringing in that's a pretty good thing very much so very much so so um, good times it is good times it, it's very good time we're talking basketball in the middle of Baseball postseason. Now, uh, to be fair, and Tim Linnefeld, our com insider, will join us. Uh, rain delay at the ACC tournament today, and the game outcome not decided as we sit here, so we're not going to talk FSU baseball in this, but uh, FSU softball, as I mentioned, is playing uh, this weekend, a big series, a right to go back to the Women's College World Series. But but addressing baseball
1: without talking about
0: today's game, that was nice what they did against Louisville for for two, for two games.
1: I think we're finally seeing what this lineup can do from an offensive standpoint that was expected uh, going into the season, injuries and, and maladies of uh, sundry types keeping that from happening. And then maybe just maybe in a critical comment, but coaches included have got their heads together about how to work the staff and how to work particularly Holden in terms of everyday playing. And, and maybe they're coming together at the right time.
0: Let's hope so. Let's hope so, because uh, June is right around the corner. Postseason uh, has begun. It is um, it's that time of uh, the program, Keith, where I I figure out what have the folks at for the table been up to, and uh, indeed, they are never shy to look at a calendar and figure out what of significance is happening. And so, tomorrow, in case you didn't know, Keith, is National Wine Day. So, Centrally.
1: Oh, man. And uh, no, I'm, here and no, not, I'm not sitting here. i not outside. Not that and I'm not able to. Uh, not
0: that kind of wine. Oh, sorry. Not that kind of wine. Uh, Half priced uh, wine glasses and bottles tomorrow. $4 cheese plates. Uh, this is at Centrale Italian Parlor. Uh, you could go there for lunch, I suppose. What,
1: what comes on a cheese plate? Cheese.
0: On a plate. Did you need more description than that? Just asking. There you have it. You're, you're very sophisticated with that Wildwood background yeah. that you have. <laughs> anyway, go out to Centrale if you haven't been there yet, uh, and uh, tomorrow would be a good day to make it your initial uh, maiden voyage. Uh, ask about know, the not. Bottle Club. That as well. We will, uh, we're not going to ask Tim Linnefeld about the Bottle Club, but we will have our Seminoles.com insider join us when we continue on the front row.
2: The front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Oh, we are back on the front row, moving and grooving on a Wednesday, and our Seminoles.com insider Tim Linoff will moved join and us. Grooved. Not well, but I have, yes. I I certainly was no David Ross on Dancing with the Stars. I I clearly would have been eliminated in week one, not making it to the finals like he did, but uh, that was impressive. He's also a New York Times bestseller. I mean, he's done all right for himself. Plays a little baseball in the the past. Let's talk to Tim, though, and we'll get David on at another point. Tim, how are you? I'm good, Tom. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us via the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together. I do want to point out for our listeners' sake real quick that uh, as we're talking – you cannot comment. Matter of fact, just cover your ears as I mention this, but Florida State got a big commitment today from uh, MJ Walker, who will join the basketball team next year. But because paperwork is not signed, I's not dotted, T's not crossed, we can't ask for Tim's opinion on that. Uh, so instead, we will uh, ask you, what in the world is uh, you writing about on Seminoles.com right now? What's going on?
3: Well, uh, you know, uh, lots of stuff this time of year. Um, softball Super Regionals are coming up, which is uh, certainly a big deal for, for that program. Uh, looking for yet another trip to the Women's College World Series. Host LSU this weekend, and Tom, I hear you, uh, you have interest in that.
0: Yeah, what you might not have heard is that I failed to act in quick fashion, and so I didn't get actually seats. I got standing room tickets, which is not playing well on the home front.
3: No, well, how about the fact that, that that's even a thing, though? That the seats are gone and standing room tickets are are, are available and, and being uh being utilized. That's kind of a cool thing, right? It
0: is, and that was the same yeah. thought I had uh, at like one o'clock yesterday afternoon when I thought, you know, it never occurred to me that they're so good and there's such a following here that this is going to sell out. But anyway, that's a me problem,
3: not yeah, a, not yeah. a front so, row
0: listenership problem.
3: <laughs> so, uh, so that's one thing, and then uh, you know, a couple things be coming down the pipe. Yeah, you know, some the uh yeah, summertime preseason all conference list and awards watch list some of those things are are coming down the pipe in the in the next day or so maybe even a little less than that so we'll have a a little bit more of that and then uh maybe even a little bit of basketball if there's anything newsworthy uh, to come out uh, anytime soon we'll, uh, we'll have some follow-up on that as well
0: well which means you'll have some follow-up soon uh, on, uh,
3: uh, on the off chance
0: on the off chance yeah there's news to report Hey, let me ask you this, uh, because the NBA draft is uh is coming up pretty quickly here. Uh well, another another few weeks. Have you heard anything more about Jonathan Isaac and uh and Dwayne Bacon and, and where they may project?
3: It doesn't really seem like uh like anything has changed too much on that front. Uh, i think most people expect Jonathan Isaac to be uh, you know, somewhere in the range of the top five, the top ten, maybe not quite for, for Isaac, not quite in that tier one of guys, you know, the the Martel and uh and the, the Lonzo Balls. Uh, but, but right there, I know uh, folks around here who are fans of the Orlando Magic spot, I think they picked six. Uh, seem to think that could be a good landing spot for Jonathan Isaac, and, and maybe could be. And then as far as Wayne Bacon, I think we'll, you know, we'll know a little bit more uh, once he finishes all his pre-draft process type stuff. But I still think the the late late first, early second is, is where he's expected to go. I
1: got, oh, go ahead, Keith. Thank you. I know you can't comment directly on players and recruits and that type of thing, but from an overall perspective, Tim, the, the recruiting that Florida State's been able to accomplish on the basketball side uh, has really, really been quite remarkable uh, when you look back just, uh, and Tom, and I are talking about this, six, eight, ten years ago. Uh, the change is rather dramatic.
3: Oh, it really, really is. You're, you're absolutely right about that. You know, I, and, and it goes back a little further than this, but I remember uh, coming up on almost ten years ago now, which makes me feel a little old. Uh, getting Chris Singleton to, to come down here uh, was was a, was a pretty big deal, and, and in a lot of ways sparked that run of four straight NCAA tournaments. Obviously, there were some uh, some other key players along the way, uh, but between Chris Singleton and Michael Snare, I think it sort of brought about that era. And then when you transition into what I think we all feel like is kind of a, a different era, even though it's still under Leonard Hamilton with Dwayne Bacon, Malik Beasley, Jonathan Isaac, and then. And maybe some guys moving forward. Uh, one, I think it speaks to obviously Leonard Hamilton and, and his staff, particularly uh, C.Y. Uh, Charlton Young and Dennis Gates, just how good those guys are on the recruiting trail. And you know, if you talk to those guys, and I'm sure you, you know Keith, I know you have it at, at times. Uh, I mean, they're on these guys. You know, it's just like football; they're on them from the seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Uh, they know them. They build relationships, and then when it comes time to Put on the hat or put pen to paper or whatever else. You know that really means something to uh, to these guys. So I think it's a you know it's a really nice testament to them. Uh, I think it also you know speaks to moving forward uh, at, the, at the foundation that has sort of been I don't know if you relay the foundation, but, but the fact that they uh, you know they still have something they've built and, and can get top recruits to buy into uh, to you know what is happening at Florida State, despite the fact that you know you're playing in a conference that you know, you've heard it plenty of times. You're playing in a conference with North Carolina, Duke, Louisville, and and whoever else. Uh, I mean recruiting for basketball in this conference it's going to be an uphill battle but you Florida State staff, the Florida State staff seems to figure something out.
4: Well,
1: and, and the ladies are not that far behind if at all with uh, another transfer announced this week uh, for coach Sue's squad.
3: Yeah, they they're kind of the uh, the NCAA whispers when it comes to that kind of stuff as far as getting transfers and and finding ways to uh, to present the case and get those players eligible they have a really nice track record of it. Uh, and it, you know, it obviously means a big deal to them to to you know be able to have that influx of talent especially given everything that the women's basketball team lost in terms of the seniors from a year ago, uh, that's a really big deal for them as well.
0: Keith's pointing at his watch, but I have one more question, and it's not a short one. Sorry, KJ. We'll, we'll continue anyway. I had this thought, Tim, when I was watching uh, Jesse Warren play on Sunday, and for those who don't know, uh, she's, what, second in the country in home runs. She's the third baseman for Florida State. I mean, she was the conference player of the year, defensive player of the year. Uh, and actually, by the time she finishes her career next year, she might be in the top five in the history of women's college softball and home runs. I mean, she's that caliber player. But the question is, who is the best current FSU student athlete relative to his or her sport? And so and I'm I'm talking for this past year. So you can count Jonathan Isaac in men's hoops. Uh, you can count Jesse Warren. Yeah. Obviously, Derwin James is probably the football answer. I, I don't know. I, just, I mean, there's some high caliber athletes in their sports on this campus right
3: now. Can I give you a wild card answer? You
0: can, and there's one more that I didn't mention. Let's see if it's who it is. Go ahead. I'll,
3: I'll, I'll, bet, I'll bet we're on the same page. Are you familiar with Dana Cassiano? Yeah, that's who
0: it was going to be on the soccer front, yes.
3: Yeah, she uh, she is, she was a freshman for the women's soccer. For those who don't know, she was a freshman on the soccer team last year. Um, she's from Venezuela, and as best I can tell, she is like a superstar celebrity in, in her home country. I don't know if you've ever been to her, her Twitter or her Instagram, but she literally has like hundreds of thousands of followers who follow her on her social media and see her highlight clips and all that you can go to YouTube right now and search for her and see her score some some goals that you know if, if you're a soccer fan and you're familiar with you know the the messis and the Ronaldinhos and all those guys uh, you'll be right at home watching her clips uh, she's a a really a heck of a talent and a, and a really fun player to watch and I know they're excited to see what they get out of her uh, over the next couple of weeks and next couple of years excuse me uh and again, it's not to take anything away from, like you said, the Jonathan Isaacs or Derwin Jameses, and there's there's an argument to be made for all those, and, and I don't know that, you know, if, if, if you want to argue for Derwin James, uh, you know, that's completely defensible, but relative to her sport, it's going to be pretty tough to top Dana.
0: Yeah, and I mean, women's basketball had an Olympian and Leticia Romero, and of course, Ja'Kayla Thomas is the player of the year, and drew mendoza has just barely tapped into his potential but who knows where he'll wind up being when his draft year is here anyway it was just an interesting question
3: all right we're gonna so what you're saying is it's a heck of a time to be a florida state fan well
0: all across the board i feel like we've said that for a lot of years running now but I, i i just don't want people to take for granted that every sport you look at is in contention i know women's golf didn't have as great a run as they wanted to in the postseason but still they're all right there uh, and that's you, you can't ask for much more than that if you're finishing the top ten, top eight, top four. Especially on the women's side, it's been strong.
3: Yeah, and, and to touch real quick on on the women's golf side of things, I know they were really disappointed to, to finish the way they did, but they had a, I mean, a fantastic season that really was uh, was beset at the end by some circumstances beyond their control with the weather and the conditions. And if you looked at the leaderboard and, and the NCAA championships last week, uh, it really wasn't. It really wasn't indicative. Who, who, who the teams at the top of the leaderboard were not indicative of who the best teams were off season by and large. So uh, I know they're disappointed to to have that run come to an end, but it still was a really nice season for them. So that, that's what's my tangent there. Sorry.
0: He is our Seminoles.com dot com insider Tim Linnefelt. Uh, for those of you that uh, have a calendar and actually count it down, we have reached the point in the off season where we're basically a hundred days away from the start of college football season and 100 days away from FSU Bama. So we will turn our attention to football when we come back right here on the front row.
2: The front row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580 1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Back on the
0: front row. Tom and KJ and our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefeld, as we return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline. Tim, let's talk some football because that's what we do when the temperature gets hot in Tallahassee, and we know that it's been hot. So the player who is most key to Florida State's on-field success in 2017 is?
3: I think it's DeAndre Francois. Uh, Not to to go too obvious with the quarterback there, but, you know, yeah, I I think it's definitely him, especially – this year with Dalvin Cook no longer in the fold, I think you, you might see Florida State lean on the passing game a little bit more. I know we're all excited about, about Cam Akers and, and Jock Patrick and the one-two punch that they could bring to the backfield, but you, you'd also like to see DeAndre build on uh, the promise he showed in his redshirt freshman year and take another step forward and, and sort of really develop into the offensive leader. Uh yeah, and if they get if they, if he can do that, and look, he was really good last year. If, if he can be a little bit better, and in the process bring some of those other young receivers along, uh, I think that's probably the, the the biggest deal for the Florida State football team. And then that obviously ignores a lot of the defense, and there are some uh, some big factors at play there as well. But to me, it's the, the one guy, and, and you know, you roll your eyes at the quarterback selection, but it's, uh, it's DeAndre Francois.
1: The single one biggest thing DeAndre has to do in order to accomplish that, and I have an opinion. I'll let you go first
3: uh well i'd be I'd be interested to hear yours. Uh, I mean I'd like to see him well one uh become a little bit more aware in the pocket we're, we're all aware of, of how many hits he took and, and some of the the big shots he took and and while they you know they, they weren't all his fault, but some of them I think were we can all agree were the result of him maybe hanging on to the ball a little too long um, and and which speaks to his toughness. I don't want to make that out to be a bad thing, but you know, he has to preserve himself a little bit better. Uh, I'd also like to see him tighten up his accuracy a little bit, particularly on the the short and intermediate throws. You uh, sometimes saw, especially not as though he doesn't have the arm strength, but just for one reason or another, uh, sometimes he looked like he was out of out of sync with his uh, his receivers on some of those types of throws. Uh, and those are where you can kind of pick up, you know, some uh, some easier yardage, some sort uh, of get you into a rhythm, get you into a routine, and, and pick up a couple first downs in the process, and then hit the big play. I think become more consistent on those. Uh, I think that you know the the other big plays will follow.
1: I don't worry personally so much about the accuracy because I think that makes its biggest improvement between first-year starting and second-year starting. But I do agree with you, get the ball out. And, and even, even if it's get to get the ball out, to throw it away, throw it at somebody's feet, throw it over their head, throw it in the end zone, don't take the hits and the punishment. I'm, I'm not interested in revisiting how tough he is. That's been established. I want him to have a nice, clean jersey at the end of every game.
3: I agree with that completely. And again, you know, look, it, that that falls on on the offensive line, and and you know, State I think has some work to do to figure out their starting five this fall. And and you know, for those guys to do their job, uh, do their do their parts, and keeping his jersey clean, but uh, he bears some of that responsibility too. And and look, I'm sure he's heard that uh, just about every day from the end of the season to now. So you know, you like to think that that's a, a priority for him. And. And, uh, and, you know, hopefully we'll see that moving forward. And you kind of mentioned the improvements from, from the first year to the start of the second year. I think that, that sort of pocket awareness and the mental side of the game uh, is something that comes along pretty nicely for guys uh, as they develop as well. So I, I do think he certainly is capable of doing it. I expect him to do it, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's on the checklist for the fall, if you will.
1: The answer is yes or no. You can explain afterwards. Question is, are we as Florida State fans any wiser or smarter this year? as opposed to last year, about putting unrealistic expectations on the performance of our defense?
3: Wow. Can you repeat the question? Uh, no. Uh,
0: I, don't, I don't think you asked that in yes-no fashion, did you? I made a statement. You
1: should go yes or no. <laughs> I'm
3: confused. You're, you're, I'm, I can't follow this. I, so,
1: what he's you're, asking, you're asking is uh, <laughs> we've got this expectation this year, uh-huh. 2017, about our defense. We had the same frickin' expectation last year in 2016. And that expectation was not met until the last third or fourth of the season. Are we setting ourselves up for a repeat performance?
3: Uh, I don't think so. I think they're going to be really good this year. And, look, I think they should have been as good as we thought they were going to be last year. And nobody wants to hear it, but you really can't overstate the significance of Derwin James and what type of player he is. Not just what he does on the field, but then I think the – sort of the confidence that he inspires uh in his teammates knowing that he's back there and you know a real lead by example type of a guy uh and and i think it took them a a little while to get comfortable with that so i do think the defense is going to be better than it was last year i'll I'll go ahead and say that with the caveat that you're not you're not better without demarcus walker right i mean he was a fantastic player who had a great senior season so they're not going to be better without him but when you look at who they have uh, uh, on that defensive end depth chart, and some of the players that are that are coming up into their second and third years uh, Brian Burns, Josh Sweat, uh, Jalen Wilkerson was a, a player who got a lot of praise this spring, sort of raised some eyebrows. A uh, couple of that with Jacob Q, who I think was a surprise selection as the Heinzman Award winner in the spring, which is to the, the most dominant player of spring practice. Uh, you know, when, when guys who, if you go back and look at the history of the Heinzman Award, guys who win that award in the spring, uh, typically, they don't, they don't disappear in the fall. They don't make you wonder how they ever won that thing in the fall. They usually go on and have, a, have really nice seasons. So uh, you got to be excited to see what he can do. And I know he's more of a, of a hybrid player uh, that can play defensive end or linebacker. So, but you're not going to just completely replace the Marcus Walker's leadership or production. But you have some guys who can soften the blow. So I think that coupled with the return of Derwin James, uh, yeah, I do think the defense is going to be better. And, and look, the play in Alabama in the first game of the season, uh, that's going to be a heck of a test. And it might not show immediately. But I do think overall, really, it might not even be close. I think the defense would be a lot better.
0: Derwin James, in some circles, is talked about as the best college football player in the country. Feels a little premature to anoint him to that, given he was injured uh, last year. But nobody's going to question that he's a freak of an athlete. So who do you think – what can he become? What is he? Uh, And I'm talking historically from a Florida State perspective there, Tim.
3: Well, I and mean, when you to, to take it back to you talking about the best player in college football, uh, based on was it based on potential and ceiling? Uh, then yeah, I think in terms of sheer athleticism, what we know that he is able to do, uh, he might be. Now, based on his actual production, well, I mean, there's there's almost no way that you can say that, given that he didn't play for ninety percent of last season. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I look at and, and see some of the, the great safeties from the uh, the early two thousands, the Ed Reed, Troy Polamalu's guys who. And they were safeties in name, Paul Mallow especially. The safeties in name, uh, but that didn't really suggest what they they did on the field. And I think Derwin, you, know, you saw in his freshman year the way they like to use him. Um, it sort of follows in that mold. I mean, he's he's really a, a defensive utility player that can play whatever you need him to do given a, a certain situation. Now he can rush the passer. He can play linebacker. I mean, I, I think you could make a case, guys, that he could play nine of the eleven positions on defense, with the exception of the two interior lineman spots and. I don't know that I would bet against him if he said he wanted to try that, and so always go uh, rabbit, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, and so when you uh, when you have somebody like that, I mean, gosh, it, it's hard to say. You know, best defensive player in school history because there've been so many just unbelievable. You know, Pro Football Hall of Fame defensive players that come through Florida State, but maybe most versatile, uh, most capable, I, uh, h- highest ceiling. I, I think that's that's absolutely appropriate to say.
0: I do think one thing, and. You guys are both well aware of this, but when Dion's name gets brought up, not in regard to Derwin, but just in terms of being an all-time great, if you've been around the program, you know that he was an incredibly hard worker, and Mickey might tell you he's the hardest working player he ever had. And so I bring that up to say that when you hear the current staff talk about Derwin, not that they compare him to Dion. But they tell you that this guy will work as hard as anybody and would show up at Walmart at 2 in the morning if you told him there was going to be a football game there. So that ability with that work ethic tends to be a pretty good combination.
3: And this is, this is, what's a dynamic that, that Jimbo really likes to talk about is what a luxury it is as a coach when your best players are also your hardest workers. And it isn't always that way. But uh, you know, when, when your, your guy who has the most talent also sets the standard at practice or in the weight room, It's a lot easier to get the other guys to fall in line, and that's a pretty underrated aspect uh, of Derwin's game.
0: I'm going to go back to the offense because this is where I see it more, but to me the biggest question mark for this team is offensive leadership because Derwin's the clear defensive leader. I think we've had this discussion before, and you know your quarterback can be that guy, but DeAndre is sort of quiet by nature. Who are the offensive leaders going to be on this team, Tim?
3: That's a good question, and I think that's something that, you know, honestly we're going to have to sort of wait and see. You would like for it to be uh, a, a DeAndre Francois. You wanted to be your quarterback, and maybe that's something that he could do uh, over the summer and into the fall. I know that's something that, that he said he really wanted to take ownership of in the spring and that he's working on becoming more vocal and, and, and being more the, the player that, that people look to. You know, I wonder maybe if, if somebody on the offensive line, one of the veteran guys there, uh, could, could turn out to be one of those types of players, whether it's, uh, you know, an Alec Everly, or a Rick Leonard, somebody who's an upperclassman has been there a while, could could maybe step into that role. Uh, I would also look at maybe Ryan Izzo, uh, the tight end has been there for a while and, and really was perhaps the most consistently praised member of the whole team during the spring. I think Jimbo called him Mister Steady Eddie, which is a pretty good nickname uh, for for a guy like that. So uh, those are some candidates that I think uh, could could be, but I, I really do you know think we're sort of have to wait and see you know how things develop this fall because. Uh, you know, like you said, without dalvin being there and 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 look Dalvin was pretty quiet by nature, too. but you saw in in some of those locker room clips, some of the the stuff that Showtime did last year. Uh, he eventually kind of grew into a role as as a player in the locker room to to tell guys what's what and sort of set that standard. And so it can be learned. It can be grown into. It doesn't always come naturally for everybody, but you know, I think players, you know they they one, they have to want to embrace it. and two, they have to first I think handle you know, make sure that they're handling their business on the field because, it's hard to get up in your teammates' grill and call him out for something when you're not handling your own business. So if a guy can, can one, want to do it, and two, uh, be that type of player on the field, then you know he has, uh, I think, two of the, the important requisites to sort of fill that
1: role. Tim, changing gears just a little bit, uh, schedule. I, I think this 2017 football schedule sets up pretty nicely for a run towards the national championship. Your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I do too. Uh, you know the the Alabama game. Uh, you know, there's been some discussion on on the Twitter sphere among FSU fans. Uh, you know how how important is the Alabama game, and then some folks are saying to people, "Always, you know, it's really not that important." They got this other game, this the game, this game, and and then, you know, to be honest with you guys, I, I kind of hate that. It's like, man, the, the the whole fun of college football is getting these big matchups. Don't tell me in May. Oh, it's actually not a big game. Well, of course it's a big game. And I you know, I would bet my shirt that it's a, a one versus two matchup. Uh, really sets the tone for the rest of the season. Uh, but on that same note, neither team that loses that game, and, and one team is going to lose it, uh, neither team that loses that game is going to be completely knocked out of the college football playoff save, for if it were just a, a huge blowout uh, in either direction. And even then, I'm not so sure that, uh, that you'd be eliminated. So, uh, so I agree with you uh, on, on that point that uh, you get your, your toughest game, probably your toughest game out of the way. You get Louisville at home. Uh, you get Clemson at home. That's, uh, that's a really big deal. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. You get uh, Clemson on the road, Louisville at uh, at home, and uh, so Louisville and Miami at home. I'm sorry, getting my uh, my schedules mixed up. But you, you're, we're talking point,
0: FSU football here, Tim. Well, Do you, you need know me what? to email you the scheduler? I think you can uh, find it on Seminoles.com. com.
3: Yeah, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, look, it's still the middle of May, and the baseball team just finished up playing at Louisville. You get, you get a little mixed up here. My, my brain's getting uh, getting tricky in my old age. Anyway you get Clemson on the road, but Miami and Louisville at home. And, and, you know, look, after last year, you're going to have to go through Louisville to win the Atlantic Division uh, as well as Clemson. So uh, having those games here, I think, is, is, uh, is a pretty nice luxury. Uh, and they're kind of spaced out nicely. I think if, if you can get through that first month of the season where you play you know, Alabama, um, Miami, get those games, uh, you know, kind of out of the way. And if you can survive them, uh, then all of a sudden things lighten up just a little bit in October and November.
0: Tim, we appreciate your insight as always. By the way, if FSU beats Alabama, and I know that's not going to be what the, the general uh, populist pick is, wouldn't the SEC just have to disband if Alabama lost two consecutive games to an ACC team? I mean, Clemson <laughs> F- I mean, they would just
3: pack up the conference, right? No,
0: they'd go to the Big 12. Turn the network off. I mean, we're done here, right?
3: I can't say for sure, but I have a sneaking suspicion that there would be some way to, uh, to explain it away and, and move on for them.
0: Yeah, probably, because Alabama would win the next 12 or 13 games and be right back in the championship That would be
3: part of it, for sure. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Tim, appreciate it. He is our Seminoles.com insider, Tim Linnefelt, does a great job uh, covering uh, Florida State for us. Uh, Keith, we're going to expand the conversation to ACC momentarily. And get another uh, nice addition to the show, revisiting us. We will do that after I tell you that if you've got a do-it-yourself project that needs to be finished, you can go visit Ron and his knowledgeable staff at Cornerstone Tool and Fastener to get all your power tool needs. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580-1200 or visit them online at ctf.nu. Andrew Adelson from ESPN.com joins us right after this. We'll talk ACC.
2: The front row with Tom Block and Keith Jones is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith.
0: Welcome back to the program. We return to the Earl Bacon Agency hotline and say hello to Andrea Adelson, ACC reporter for ESPN. And Andrea, it's interesting times at the ACC because it feels like for years and years the league has been ask questions about how they're going to catch up to other leagues and that sort of thing. And though some of that exists on the revenue side related to the ACC network in general, times are pretty good for the Atlantic Coast Conference right now as they come out of their spring meetings at Amelia Island.
4: No question about it. The only gripe was about the new recruiting reform package that passed that coaches aren't happy about. But beyond that, uh, there was good news about where the league stands, obviously, having the national champion and a team in every single college ball playoff here the first three years. Um, the fact that they had nine bowl wins. These were all talking points that we heard the, the coaches um, discussing. And John Swanford spent 16 minutes on his opening statement when he talked to us reporters, and most of it was spent bragging on the conference, not just football but also basketball and some of the successes that they've had across the board. So, um, you know, it, it was a vastly different uh, feel, a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum. So even Don Swafford said as he looked around the room, he felt like, well, finally, things are settled down and we can move forward as a conference uh, into a, a new era, uh, so to speak, um, especially with the forthcoming ACC network that everybody has said, both on and off the record, will be launching in 2019. So they're looking forward to that and obviously hoping to keep up the success that they've had on the field and on the court to be able to launch that successfully.
1: Has there been a time, uh, Andrea, both during your time of covering and your historical uh, remembrances, uh, where the ACC's been better positioned than where it is right now?
4: No, absolutely not. Uh, And when John Swofford said this was the best year uh, in football history in the ACC, it's hard to disagree with him when you look at all the successes on the field. And it wasn't just this year. Um, Over the last five years, the ACC has finally made those strides to get up there and not be considered among the worst of the Power Five. They're now considered among some of the best. And so when you look at where football is positioned now, combined with the continued excellence on the basketball side, they feel that they have a product now that people are going to want to watch and subscribe to when we're talking about this linear ACC network in 2019. The worst thing for the ACC would be for football to go backwards to where it was in 2008-2009 when it was basically irrelevant on a national stage. I don't think that's going to happen. I think that the momentum and the strides have been made, not just by Florida State and Clemson, obviously, as the flag bearers now, but you look at Miami with Mark Rick, there's a lot of energy and excitement. Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech, a lot of people are excited about what he's bringing to the table, what Louisville's done the first uh, few years that they've been in the conference, the coaching hires across the board that have been made in this conference, and obviously the continued um, stress on playing these tough non-conference matchups early in the season. All of these reasons are why I think the ACC continues to have uh, an upward trajectory here and should continue to be successful as a conference in the years to come
0: let me ask you andrew we're in this era of the when we've been in it frankly probably for decades truthfully but the arms race of everybody wanting to keep up with the joneses and obviously Dabo has the shiny new toy now that is that indoor facility and jimbo wants to get one here it's, and this this question literally has been asked for 30 or 40 years, but are, are we ever going to reach a tipping point or a breaking point when it comes to just finding more revenue and building more things uh, for the student-athletes and really to help recruiting?
4: You know, it's a great question, uh, and it, you're right. It's one that we have been asking for the last 20 years. Once we started to see these gaps form between the quote-unquote haves in some of the Power Five conferences and the have-nots, which is basically everybody else. And there are even gaps in the East Conference in terms of what uh, some programs are able to do and spend money on. Uh, obviously, you've got highly successful programs with big budgets like Florida State and Louisville and Clemson and the ACC, but then you've got other athletic programs like Boston College uh, that don't have as big of a budget and certainly don't have revenues uh, coming in the way that some of the ones at the top of the league do and so you've even got a separation within conferences Uh, but in terms of when there's going to be a tipping point I think there's always going to be ways to make money right and I think the next wave that we're going to see is naming rights on stadiums we saw what Kentucky just Signed for their football stadium. This hasn't really been a trend because of all this tradition. People want to have those traditional names on the stadium. That's why we love college football so much. But uh, in order to look for new revenue streams for some of these colleges that maybe don't make as much or bring in as much, maybe it's going to be this naming rights to try and find different ways to bring in money to keep up with everybody because of this arms race. And Boston College is a good example they're trying to find ways right now to raise money to completely overhaul their facilities. Their facilities are stuck in the like 1980s and 1990s, and that's really not a way that you can even compete with Syracuse, which would be your nearest rival, um, which has modernized and upgraded its facilities. So um, I think that finding different ways to make money uh, is going to be a priority, and it could be naming rights either on stadiums or suites or. Um, things like that, that I think could be a, a, another source uh, that schools are going to be looking to as this arm arms race continues.
1: Andrew, in a national picture, and we, we saw a little bit of it uh, in the conversations in the last uh, little while about uh, Notre Dame officially becoming a full member of the ACC, uh, whether they would or wouldn't, and uh, looking at things that are happening uh, in the Midwest, particularly with Oklahoma and, and Texas, and, and what's going on with their conference, do we, do we see a... a measurable change in the next little while in a uh, conference alignment and affiliations, or do you think we're done for, for the time being?
4: Well, every time I think we're done for the time being, something happens. So I'm never going to say that uh, we're done uh, because you never know what can happen, but I will say this, um, you know, the grant of rights in the ACC uh, is signed through the 2030s. Uh, and so it will be a Extremely difficult for a team to leave because of the financial ramifications uh, that would uh, end up becoming in play uh, in terms of forfeiting television revenue and all sorts of other things, not to mention now the $50 million exit fee that the ACC has. Um, As far as Notre Dame goes, you know, they recently announced um, their schedule with their ACC Uh, opponents, which is five per year through also the 2030. So if this was a program that uh, was about to join full time as an ACC member, they probably would not have put that out, uh, who they're playing uh, for the next 20 years uh, and only five uh, of those conference uh, teams per year. Uh, So, you know, I don't think that anything is eminent. Um, But you also you never know with the landscape and and the Big 12 is obviously has its own struggles right now. Um, uh, You know, you you just don't know. But my inclination is to think that we're pretty settled at this point. Uh, And uh, a lot of that comes from just uh, talking to people at these ACC spring meetings and getting uh, this sense from John Swofford that things have finally settled down, at least for the near future. Um, not only for the conference, but across the college football landscape. So I'm leaning toward things being this way, at least for the next little while.
0: Do you get a sense that when you talk about conference championships in the ACC and where they are contested, Either because of the influx of of other opponent or, or other conference members that are you know out outside of tobacco road like Louisville and Syracuse and just the conference 's footprint and or because they had to move the championships for a year due to hB two in Carolina is the league going to be more open to moving some championships around and i don 't necessarily mean football, and I know what basketball is is going back to New York and then coming back to Carolina I guess i 'm thinking more of the the other sports just in general, like a baseball that 's being played in Louisville right now. Is there is there going to be more willingness to do that?
4: Now, I'm not sure about that. When we asked Don Swafford about the fact that now they've pulled everything back into North Carolina that was taken out this year, um, they were excited about the prospect of getting those uh, championships back into the state of North Carolina, and they also extended those contracts by a year because they lost out this year. So that has now meant that Charlotte's going to keep the game for an extra year, and they, lo- they love they having the game in Charlotte, quite honestly. Um, you know, this past year was successful in Orlando, but they also had to give away tickets uh, to make sure they filled the stadium. Now, there were extenuating circumstances, obviously, because it was moved so late they couldn't do a lot of their um, pre-ticket sales um, and that sort of thing. But every time the game has been in Florida, generally speaking, it has been a struggle to sell tickets. They feel much more comfortable in Charlotte. If we're just speaking from a, a football Perspective. And I think the fact that there are, uh, you know, closer ties anyway uh, from some of the Southern schools and the North Carolina school to be able to get into uh, North Carolina just makes things easier on a whole. So I know they've been pleased with some of these venues, whether they'll look to shift it around or not. I don't really think that that's something they're looking at at this point in time. Uh, and, and I think they're just pleased to have um, those tournaments back in North Carolina.
1: Andrew, uh, you, you mentioned it and uh, it gets talked about and it will be talked about more as we get closer to 2019 at the ACC Network. Uh, Tom and I have talked numerous times here on our show and, and others have speculated uh, with cord cutting and the movement to uh, Hulu and some other things. Uh, I'm still of the opinion, this is just a, a big broad statement without getting into the details, uh, between Swofford and ESPN, whatever this next stage or next way that consumers digest live sports, I still believe the ACC is positioned as well as anybody to take advantage of whatever that ends up being. Your thoughts?
4: Yeah, I agree. Um, And it goes back to what we talked about earlier, the fact that now the ACC has a product that people want to watch and people will tune in to watch. We've seen the ratings, obviously, for the Florida State-Clemson game every year, the ratings are still high for Florida State-Miami. Um, the ratings uh, were off the charts for the national championship game, which included an ACC team. High ratings for some of these non-conference matchups. Uh, and I think that's only going to get better uh, as we start to see the ACC hopes Miami pick things up. Louisville, obviously, with Lamar Jackson and looking like they are uh, also on an upward trajectory. Um, you know, the, the thing that... Uh, is is a positive here. We can talk about cord cutting, and that's very scary, especially for somebody like me and the folks who work at ESPN. But the live programming is still so valuable and still brings in so much money uh, for a network, whether we're talking about ESPN or any other network that has the live sports programming, because ultimately that's what people want to tune in and watch. And because now the the football product uh, is commensurate with the basketball product, you're able to meld this into, well, we have a lot of live programming that people want to watch. I mean, maybe we could put Duke North Carolina on the ACC network to try and boost some of the the viewership there or some of the other ACC matchups during basketball season. Same goes for some of the bigger football matchups. Now I don't know that they'd put Florida State Clemson on an ACC network on, but certainly they are looking at trying to get conference matchups in the first few weeks of the launch uh, of the ACC network to try and, build up an audience and show we have got a good product that people are going to want to tune in and watch. Now, um, obviously, there are questions about what the the, um, subscriber base is going to look like in two years. But John Swofford did mention the fact that they are looking at other avenues for um, how people consume games and live television. And they are studying that and they will be making sure that they are on the front lines of taking advantage and monetizing whatever way people are going to be consuming um, all of these products here over the next year, year and a half, two years, so that they can uh, be accessible to fans who want the product and maybe aren't just glued to their television sets.
1: And, and let's not forget, and I should look up the name. I don't have it at the tip of my tongue, but uh, about a year ago your network acquired the largest digital network network configuration BAM tech that can deliver high definition live programming over the internet. Uh, I think that is uh, very significant, though not never much talked about.
4: Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, obviously, if you're not looking at um, digital ways uh, beyond television to present the content, then you're not really living in 2017 right now. Um, Obviously, you look at some of the deals the NFL has gotten with uh, with Twitter and some of these other websites to do live streaming of NFL games uh, that was groundbreaking in itself but now you got to find different ways to break ground and where else are people going to be looking to um, you know to get these games whether it's through some sort of Amazon uh, something or another um, digital product uh, that uh, that is on the market so without question if you're not looking at that and studying that then you're not really in touch with, the way people are consuming um, media these days. And so hopefully um, that will lead to um, some innovative ways to present the programming and the content, not just for ESPN, but for the other conferences that it's affiliated with, and of course the ACC network as well.
0: Well, we appreciate you joining us via old school media, known as radio. So, Andrew, thanks. For- <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't on a
1: landline; it was on a cellular telephone,
0: I believe. Yes, exactly, Andrew. Thank you so much. Look forward to enjoy your. Uh, I don't know that it's an off season, but enjoy your summer, <laughs> and we look forward to seeing you during the fall. Yes,
4: yeah, been here. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Andrea.
0: It. All right, ACC reporter for ESPN, Andrea Adelson. Appreciate her insight. Keith and I will react as we finish up on the front row right after this.
2: We don't need no control. The front row is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Two locations to choose from 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Call them at 580 1200 or online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith.
0: All right, time to finish up on the front row. Thanks to Andrea Adelson some good perspective there uh, from the ACC, you know, and, and I mentioned at the top that I I did double check she was still employed before I called her. Before we started the interview, I said, "How would you what's your official title? How would you like me to refer to you?" She said employed. She said still employed. <laughs> I, the reality is you got to have a sense of humor if you're doing this because the
1: media landscape is changing, and she's been great, does a good job covering the ACC. A very good job. She's, she's built her way into being very, very well-respected amongst the athletic directors and, and coaches uh, around the league, and uh, and she does a fantastic job.
0: Lives down in the uh, Orlando area, so we'll have her on from time to time. Back to the top of the program uh, and what we discussed, M.J. Walker, who's a top prospect uh, has committed to Florida State Hoops prospect. Some say five-star, some say four-star. You know, to pick your recruiting service du jour. He's a darn good basketball player that will play a lot of minutes next year. And it occurs to me, and we didn't mention this earlier, that potentially you could have MJ pass to CJ, who passes to PJ, and PJ would take the shot. He wouldn't pass it back. down There's no he? more passes. And then you, KJ, would be there to
1: describe the action. And how excited... S.J. one Stan Jones got over the execution. That's a lot of J's. No, it's <laughs> and jump shot Leonard will be right
0: there calling it off. This actually leads to a whole – this is where my brain goes. This is, this, is what you, this is what you do in the summer, absolute waste of time. I started racking my brain, not just basketball. So you've currently got A.J. Westbrook on the football team. B.J. Ward used to be on the football team. you got C.J. Walker currently on the basketball team. D.J. Stewart used to play baseball. E.J. Manuel and E.J. Levenberry used to play football. And then I ran into F.J. and G.J., and I kind of went off the rails there. I'm not sure if we have any of those. But is there anybody else as we go through here? There's probably a T.J. somewhere. Uh, is there a T.J. somewhere in the FSU annals? Uh, okay, you're K.J. Uh,
1: you got me. L.J.,
0: Lonnie Johnson, L.J.? I, you know, I don't know. We could I, probably make quite a list there. No, but the the bigger picture, uh, we we definitely got off the rails there, is that this is significant for Florida State basketball, who – You know, you get Malik and Dwayne. You don't get to the tournament like you want, but you get a guy in Malik who goes to the NBA. Then you get Isaac, who we'll wait and see. The projections are, as as Tim mentioned, he's probably between five and 10, but, you know, he's not that far away from maybe being the highest drafted basketball player in fsu history dave cowens went four i'm not saying he's going to best that but he's in that class potentially
1: well and And now you get another guy and and to be fair you go all the way back it it kind of began with xrm because who his teammate was and you thought there was a possibility that there would be a both of them coming in right um so and and obviously we've seen this in football and basketball and and to a lesser degree in other sports, you recruit these 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds. And finally you get them committed and they're at some level and many of them come in and do well. And several of them come in and not, not, not do well. Um, You and I've talked all the time and I've made the comment to all the coaches, including Jimbo and Leonard and, and 11, you know, it's a wonder they all aren't crazy and ball headed Uh, because your career is based on the decisions of 17 and 18 year olds. And, you know, you haven't raised your kids to that age, but I have. And our listeners, many of them have kids older than that. You know, dang, I raised my own children and sometimes didn't trust the decisions that they made. So it's a it's just a difficult way of earning a living. And it takes a special breed of individual to put up with it. No question about that. Keith, we are finished for
0: another week wow happy memorial day weekend to you same to you for those that are headed to the beach so is keith that would be me he'll be easy to spot (laughs) all right i'm just gonna leave what i'm just i mean the the thought of you you've been on a roll today I i have been lately i just i had to drop that in i just wanted people to have that mental image in mind before they go to the beach thank you very much all right we'll talk to you again next week be safe everybody